Welcome to the Talent Bubble, a podcast where HR, people ops, and talent acquisition professionals learn from their fellow colleagues in the trenches. We'll hear how they navigated their careers, learn about exciting projects they're working on, and discover the tools they use to get the job done. Learn more at thetalentbubble.com. I'm your host, Brian Mooney, co-founder of jobhoney.io. Today's episode is brought to you by the People Ops Society a private community of active people ops professionals that are working together to share resources, solve problems, and tackle hard decisions. POPS is a new age professional community that provides access to a full library of policy templates and playbooks, an online forum where peers ask questions and discuss best practices, and a catalog of short, peer-led classes available online 24-7. Apply at peopleopssociety.com. All waitlist submissions are reviewed on a rolling basis and new members are being accepted. Join the People Ops Society today and become a member of the movement. This episode of the Talent Bubble is brought to you by Reembi. Reembi is reimbursement reimagined. Most recruiters can share horror stories about how long it's taken their candidates to be reimbursed for interview expenses. Well, Reembi has solved that problem. With Reembi, candidates are reimbursed the same day their expenses are approved. And this is pretty amazing. Candidates can even receive their reimbursement via Venmo. Visit reembi.com now to see why companies like Wayfair, DoorDash, and Peloton are using reembi to improve candidate experience and streamline recruiting operations. That's reembi, R-E-I-M-B-I.com. Reembi is reimbursement reimagined. This week's guest on the Talent Bubble is Kristen Sterick. After years of pursuing a career in education, Kristen pivoted to become a recruiter. Today, she's a recruiting manager and retained recruiting partner at StartupTap. I was interested in talking with Kristen to learn more about how a company like StartupTap partners with a talent team to scale their hiring efforts. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Kristen Sterick. What was the first job that you've ever had? Oh my goodness. I think I was a barista at a small cafe in on the beach in New Jersey. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Wow. And what brought you out to LA? Uh, my husband and I decided to move here for his career primarily. Um, and you were on the path to become becoming a Spanish teacher. Correct. Yes. So actually, I um, was a bilingual elementary education teacher. Um, I wasn't a bilingual teacher for all seven years, but I have seven years uh, teaching elementary students third through sixth grade at one point. Um, yeah, so it's been quite the career change. Yeah, how did that come about? It was about in the beginning of the seventh year of teaching. I had decided, you know, state. I was credentialed by the state. I had gone through my master's program. Um, I was under the impression based upon other teachers' feedback that, you know, the role would get easier with time and it would become a more sustainable lifestyle. But unfortunately, um I gave it due time and I was finding that it just was not a sustainable career path for me. Um, I was pouring my heart and all of my energy into these children. And um, my I think my health was suffering in many ways. So I decided to take a year um, and I knew I still wanted to work heavily with people. And so I was looking in into other career paths um, and recruiting was you know, naturally a, a very uh, strong priority option for me to pursue. And so that's how I ended up 
in recruiting. So did someone introduce that idea to you to become uh, a recruiter or, or is that sort of just through maybe research online? Like what did that look like for you? Yeah. So actually one of my friends, um, from gosh, from high school, um, was a recruiter at the time for Wayfair, uh, in the Boston area. Um, she really enjoyed it. And she said, Kristen, I know you like a book. You would do really well in this role. Um, and I think you would really like it. And so that kind of set me on my path to researching and discovering further, um, you know, how I should get started and what type of firms or companies I should look into from the start. Was this happening right around the time where you ended up moving? Because it looks like you've been at um, Startup Tap for, for the duration of your recruiting career, right? Yes. So I've been with Startup Tap from the beginning. Um, and it's been a really, really great experience, um, starting with a firm. I think, you know, we're working with a lot of different diverse clients. Um, it's very fast paced, very high energy. Um, I've learned a lot in a very short amount of time, which I think was one of my personal goals, just taking that career change, taking that switch. Um, because, you know, having seven years of professional experience outside of college, you don't want to start from scratch all over again and take seven more years to build up where you've left off. You know, my goal was to get back to where I should be for um, my professional level as quickly as possible. Um, do you have any tips for someone that's like going through that process? Like, how did you kind of, you know, show that you have this type of experience and you can do this job that maybe you, you weren't actually doing? and, um, you know, get them to kind of invest in you? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely challenging um, to make your career change. And I think you have to be really upfront about what you're looking for and how your current experience bridges. Um, and what I mean by bridge is, you know, teaching, there's a lot of transferable skill sets there, but the way you would traditionally uh, package a an education resume is very, very different than what a business resume would look like. Um, so I did a lot of research in terms of how can I package my former teaching career into a business kind of language um, skill sets that would be desirable. So, you know, rather than focusing on the successes I've seen as an educator, I was highlighting my data experience and how I was making decisions based on that data. And that really appealed I think to um, my boss, who I'm now working with, um, the company I that took a chance on me. So I really had to repackage and think about the language they would want to see and show how my skills were transferable. I think it was uh, the first episode of this podcast, Sarah Magner, that mentioned like, uh, if you've been a recruiter, I don't need to know that you scheduled interviews and interviewed people. You know, they want to know more about like how many people have you hired in a particular company or, or something like that so any any data points you can show that kind of speak to that position is is definitely going to be beneficial tell me a little bit about the onboarding experience for you at startup tap you know where did you go to kind of learn uh what sort of work did you do like when you just started can you kind of remember back to to those days i'm sure it feels like a million years ago right <laughs> it does um yes i would say the ramp up period was very intense, but I also just jumped right in. Like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to excel as quickly as possible. Um, and so that started with basic training uh, from one of the founders. Um, we're very, I would say, collaborative. So I was also sitting down with my colleagues, going through, you know, the basics of Boolean all the way to diving into technical languages and what you do with each of those. 
And then ultimately starting to work with clients. Um, It kind of just fell in naturally. First, I was working on diving into one or two specific roles with one client, really understanding what they do, what they need, sourcing, screening, you know, submitting candidates through an account manager. And very naturally, you start to grow and you start to build a, you know, a portfolio of work. But it was, I would say, we're the type of firm that you know, you really need to ask the right questions. If you have them, we're very autonomous. Um, Nobody's going to be checking in, micromanaging me, you know, making sure I'm getting my work done or asking if I've done something specific. You know, I have to really, I had to ask the right questions, get the information I needed to succeed. And you mentioned, so you you work with a bunch of different companies. Um, So can you Tell me a little bit about some of the the companies that you've worked with. Have you ended up going into more like a specialty area, maybe doing all healthcare or all kind of tech? Like what companies have you worked with? So I would say all the companies we serve are very tech forward, tech oriented, um, if not pure tech themselves. Um, we are generalists in the sense that that is what unifies our companies. Um, I have worked with a very wide range of companies, fintech, health tech, e-commerce, media, entertainment, you name it really. And in terms of niche, I think over time, I've grown to realize that I really enjoy marketing concepts probably more than any other area of a business. So I definitely gravitate towards marketing searches because I feel that I really understand the concepts behind what would make for a good marketer. I enjoy finance and sales searches quite a bit. I'm capable of doing tech searches, but fire dies inside of me when I'm only working on tech. (laughs) So (laughs) try not to go too hard on that. Yeah, good skill to have though, I guess, right? Um, so can you tell me a little bit about sort of how startup tap works? Like I'm familiar with RPO model and, you know, working with consultants and stuff like that, but can you tell me a little bit about the model itself and maybe how that, how it might differ? Sure. So we actually have a few different models. Um, and I think that's, is indicative of our flexibility, um, uh, as a company, but we offer what we like to call integrated search. Um, some people call it augmented. It's where we go in-house, we embed within the team um, and work alongside them to really get to know them, understand them. And typically that's used during times of rapid scaling. Um, so, you know, a company needs to hire, they want to add to their headcount by 30, 40 employees in you know, four or five months, that would be the appropriate solution for them. Typically, that's one or two of my team members going on site and really getting to know them. And, and then in addition to making those hires, which is typically priority number one, we're actually setting uh, setting up those recruiting operation frameworks for them, um, even implementing some of those operations for them. Um, and ultimately, typically before we leave those types of engagements, we're placing, you know, a director of talent or at least a senior recruiter and training them up. Um, so that is a smooth transition and they have, you know, and we know they're in good hands. Um, So that's one model. And the other model, we work on a retained project basis. So that means that uh, companies, they come to us, they want to partner one-on-one. It's an exclusive relationship where they really um, understand the value of working with a single search firm on a search. And we practice a um, executive search methodology. So we're going out, we're finding a targeted profile. We're looking at candidates that are typically very happily employed and well-paid and we're engaging them. Um, so we don't work from databases. We're not working with typically not working with candidates that are job searching. Um, so, you know, you kind of, it's a more targeted search. Um, and that's part of the reason why we really push for retain engagements is because we're putting a lot of power behind these searches. Um, and, and it's an iterative process. They take time to define and really find you the right person. 
Um, and then lastly, we do offer contingent model. You know, that's what I think most people think of as traditional agency recruiting. Uh, you know, there's no payment up front, of course, but we're still applying that executive search methodology. We're still diving into the market and tailoring the search depending upon their needs and not relying on inbound. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Because that to me is is really interesting. Yeah. Just, yeah, kind of talk through like what that would look like. Definitely. So a retained project um, typically is a an exclusive relationship between our firm and the company um, in terms of their hiring goals. So they either are working on maybe a few key hires. It could be one role sometimes. It's very hard to fill. Um, oftentimes they have tried to, you know, go through their own inbound. Um, and we're working with them to really solve this difficult issue, right? And this could have to do with their interview process, maybe not the candidates they're seeing. This There's a lot of different way, reasons why this search may not have been successful in the past. So mm. we go through a very rigorous intake process to really understand what their process looks like um, and dive into what you know, with the value propositions around their company, the founder's stories, the hiring manager's story about joining that company, um, really, really get to know and craft a compelling story. Um, and that way, when we do go into the market, we are targeting um, very specific profiles. We can engage them right off the bat with really meaningful information. Um, we're very transparent about what searches we're working on. I know a lot of recruiters, um, you know, unfortunately have to keep uh, their recs kind of hidden uh, or anonymous mm -hmm. um, up until a very late point in the process. And we actually do the exact opposite because we know we're the only ones that are on that. Um, there's no market saturation that we're not worried about other uh, firms, you know, trying to fill the role as well. Um, so yeah, it's a very, I would say intimate partnership. And what does that sort of outreach look like? Is this more, you know, in, I'm sure in mails on LinkedIn and stuff like that, or are you building maybe a landing page and partnering with marketing and stuff like that to create content around it? Or what's that look like? I love that idea, but no, I would say primarily this is traditional outreach, email, in-mail. Um, yes, but we were working on primarily that executive search style where we're, we're creating a very targeted list of, you know, maybe top 25 candidates that mm. we're going after. And then we, we try to engage them in conversation. So many questions. So I want to take it back to the first piece. Can you talk a little bit about these frameworks that you would put in place? You know, when you take on a new uh, client or customer and you're going in, um, what what sort of happens? What's the process to to understand like what they're missing and what you need to do? And then how do you go and, and sort of execute that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so first and foremost, we dive in pretty much day one, we start taking intake meetings with hiring managers. Um, and, you know, we're typically sitting down with the executive team a few times at least before we even start these engagements um, to make sure they're, you know, fully on board having us come in. Um, but as soon as we do start, we're meeting with that executive team again. We're meeting with every single hiring manager, whether they're hiring or not, to start to lay out a framework of what hires they may need to make that year. Um, and how we can, of course, we may not be there for the full year, but we're going to try to chip away at their goals. That would be step one. Simultaneously, we're also creating dashboards. Um, typically, we're working with an insights dashboard. So that's a dashboard 
primarily for executive use. The executives want to see the big picture. We they want to see our impact while while we're there. They also want to know their the impact of the recruiting department beyond our tenure with them. This is our product you guys have, or is that something you would build? on something that they're currently using to get those insights? So typically, you know, we're just running that on an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, it's nothing too complicated. It's just there for them and it's easy to update for whoever takes over and steps in once we're gone. Yeah. But, you know, that is something that we can build out with the executive team. We can sit down if they have specific uh, requests for that insights document. Um, and then, of course, we're building out dashboards for the hiring managers as well, one on one, because what the hiring managers are most interested in seeing, of course, is a real time up to date search effort, right? So they want to see um, who's in the pipeline, how many candidates we've screened but DQ'd, and then that way they can also stay in touch with what's happening in, in each of the searches. Do you use the tools that they already have in place? Like if they're using an ATS, are you going to use their applicant tracking system? Or if they're using their, uh, you know, a CRM or something like that, are you going to use their tools or do you have your own set of tools at Startup Tap? So... It's interesting because we actually work with clients who haven't yet set up an ATS. We've also worked with clients that have fully fledged recruiting teams. Um, so we, we're really flexible in terms of what stage we come in at. But when they don't have an ATS, we help select one for them. Um, and then in terms of an ATS that's already established, yes, we work within their ATS. Okay. And um, do you have any, any tips or sort of advice for a company that if they are in the process of selecting an ATS, maybe it's from scratch or maybe they're looking to switch from another ATS. Um, do you have any tips or advice for them for when they're conducting that search? I would say I think scalability is something that the executive team should think about. Depending how sophisticated they want the software to be in the future, obviously in the beginning, most of the time they're just worried about getting names in the system. They just need, you know, they just want to mark as hired. That's really all that matters in the early stages. Um, but when you think about, you know, A, you need to think about your stage. B, you want to think about your scalability, not long term per se, but within the year, year and a half to come. Um, is that piece of software going to serve you? What is a common mistake that you see companies make at the early stage when it comes to either attracting talent or or even just interviewing and, and hiring talent? That's a really great question. Um, honestly, I think what it comes down to most, I would say an overarching theme most often has to do with bias, unfortunately. Yeah. I think um, there's all different types of bias, of course, but it really does get in the way. And uh, it's hard for individuals to stay objective and compare and interview candidates for the actual job requirements and additionally, how successful they'll be in the job as opposed to comparing them to other candidates, comparing them to a candidate, comparing them to themselves or other employees that are currently at the company. You mentioned a couple of the applicant tracking systems that uh, you have experience using, um, as you mentioned, with some of these these startups. Um, uh, I'm guessing internally, there's probably not a ton of other tools that they would have necessarily dedicated to recruiting, but I'd love to hear about um, maybe some other tools or platforms that you've used to help in your search to find top talent? Yeah, um, I would say one that I use very regularly um, if I'm working via Greenhouse. Um, I actually really enjoy working with Mixmax. Um, it's, in, it's a Gmail integration um, and through Chrome, I believe. And 
it allows you to nurture or sequence email um, candidates. So Lever has that functionality built in, but Greenhouse does not. Um, so that's one that I use regularly. Um, I honestly am a really big fan of tapping into networks. So whether that's finding a really specific Slack channel of professionals to tap into, um, one I really like is Alpha for women in tech. Um, that's not exclusive to engineers, but just tech in general. Um, and there's a lot of great communities out there. So what's sort of the biggest challenge that you're facing right now in your current role? Biggest challenge I would say is most frequently having to do with tech search. Uh, this has been an issue, I think for many firms for a long time, but how do we know as recruiters that the technical tests or the technical um, assignments that are sent to candidates to complete are actually fair assessments or actually will are, are valid or are they uh, reliable indicators of success in the role? And this is something I see, um, my, I ask myself a lot because it's impossible for us to push back in any way. We're not, we're not, technical experts ourselves, mm. most of us. And so, you know, you can't engage in a really meaningful conversation with the CTO or the director of engineering about these, these tests. And it, I think an issue we see a lot is people just aren't passing them. And mm. so we're, we're losing some potentially really great talent and, you know, how we have to wonder how much of it is due to this test. You know, which ones have you used? I know there's a, there's a bunch of tools out there, but which ones have you actually used? So we work with the uh, systems and the processes that our clients have set up already. Yeah. Um, so typically, you know, the CTO has very set processes in terms of what they want the interview to look like. Um, but one tool I can think of that I've seen in play is HackerRank. Yeah. Okay. Um, before a candidate may even chat with anybody in the tech department or tech team. Um, just to establish some baseline skill set. So is that after, so when would that, that test be uh, executed? Is that sort of after you've identified them and uh, maybe initiated a conversation with them and then had them filled out? Or is that sort of like the barrier to, before they even can talk to you, they have to complete that, that test? No, I feel really strongly that there needs to be candidate buy-in. You're going to see a lot of drop-off um, if you're having candidates take an assignment before there's any engagement. Yeah. Um, so no, definitely after a recruiter's converse, conversation or screen, um, ideally even after um, you know somebody chats with them on the tech team. Um, this could even be a 15-minute conversation, but I think it creates buy-in. Um, one thing I've also seen that's been really successful uh, from a tech screening or tech interview standpoint is actually um, kind of a collaborative coder pad session uh, between CTO or could be a man engineering manager and a prospective candidate. Mm -hmm. um, so the candidate, you know, is presented a problem. They go through it together. It's a very comfortable, typically it's a comfortable setting, um, not too intimidating. Um, and they actually solve it collaboratively and you can actually test for the communication skills and the thought process behind solving those problems. Um, what is something that you are really excited about working on right now or just something that you're excited about in the talent acquisition space? Um, 
I can answer both of those questions. <laughs> Something I'm really excited about personally is working on working towards the PHR exam. Um, cool. I'll be taking fairly shortly here. Um, and I'm very, very excited about the kind of renewed energy around diversity and inclusion and how that should be a broader conversation with everybody in the company. Um, and every hiring manager should mm. be educated on these concepts. Um, so that's, you know, it's a huge push. I think that's long overdue. Yeah, that's great. And what's the uh, drive behind taking the PHR? So I have been in many scenarios where, you know, I've been asked questions regarding HR topics about, from clients or put in questionable scenarios where I'm not sure if something is appropriate um, because I don't have that HR expertise. So I think that was the driving factor behind um, just being a more well-rounded recruiter, having some familiarity with the legal concepts in HR yeah. um, as well as broader concepts. But yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's pretty great. You're taking the initiative to do that. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and uh, being a part of the talent bubble. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Talent Bubble. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. If you want to help the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Thank you so much and be well.